Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says this, Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. Really important thing to realize is that God doesn't think like us. He thinks higher than us. And so our, our thoughts need to adjust to him. He doesn't need to adjust his thoughts to us. And that is for sure. Comfort comes from hearing the word of God as the Lord intended and not as man distorts. And the Bible is filled with 7,000 promises. And the greatest thing about that is all of those promises come true. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. As uh, He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He's the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. And he is the Jewish Messiah. Now, the Lord was not sent by God the Father to judge the world. The Lord was sent by God the Father so that the world could be saved through him. He died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through shedding his blood. And as a result of his strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven of our sins. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. Yes, you heard it right. Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He's not a thing. He's not a concept. He's not a spiritual being or a higher power or any of the hocus pocus that people want to use to describe him when they don't know him. And so what we do, as just as we do with anyone we love, is we spend time getting to know the Lord by knowing his mind. And the Bible is his exact thinking, and it is called the mind of Christ. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world. He is a liar. He deceives the whole world, including you. And he doesn't want you to get to know God. And in fact, he interferes with your chance to get to know God. Well, the word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, a union we cannot get out of. And we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. Tonight's Bible lesson, what role does prayer play in your life? What role does prayer play in your life? So this lesson will be an exact duplication of the lesson that we just taught in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho this week. And it was uh, very well received by the people who came. And I think you'll find it very useful too because what is the, the weapon that we can use against the coronavirus? What is the thing that we can use as believers in Christ to defeat what's going on in the world right now? 
And without question, the thing we can use to defeat it is prayer. So, God has given believers in Christ a series of gifts. And what I wonder is if you know the gifts that you've been given by God. I wonder if you bring that to your consciousness on a regular basis, exactly what your gifts are from God. And I wonder if you're taking advantage of the gifts which are designed specially for you. Ten gifts specifically come to mind. The first gift is the gift of God the Son, the Lord. God the Son, the Lord, came to earth and humiliated himself by taking on the form of man. First John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 say this. The testimony is this, that God the Father has given us believers in Christ eternal life, the resurrection life, right from the moment of salvation, and this resurrection life comes to us in his Son. 1 John 5, 12, he who has a relationship with the Son has the resurrection life, and he who does not have a relationship with the Son does not have the resurrection life. And I I like what Paul has to say. He says, for me, to live is occupation with Christ and dying is profit. And he says, whether I'm in the flesh, in the human body, or whether I'm in heaven, it's all the same to me. And that's what it means to have the resurrection life. And so we're not worried about anything that's going on in the world. We're not worried about... You know, breathing our own carbon dioxide. I've had a headache all week breathing my own carbon dioxide. I'm actually happy to be going back to my house where I don't have to breathe my own carbon dioxide into a mask. It's just a joke. I I look, I'm walking through the airport and I see all these people walking through and they're diligent. The guy on on the plane next to me had on gloves. You know, I felt just, I felt naked. I felt so unprepared to go out and fight the germ, the boogeyman that's out to get me. And I don't have to worry about any of that, neither do you, because we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he who has a relationship with the Son has the resurrection life. And we are walking around as believers in Christ with the resurrection life. So whether we're here on earth or whether we're in heaven, it's all the same, only heaven is a gazillion times better than being here. What's another gift? The gift of the Word of God, the Bible. We have the gift of the Word of God, the Bible, which creates tremendous serenity for us. In his prayer to his Father, in John chapter 17, verse 17, here's what the Lord prayed on our behalf. He said, Father, sanctify believers in the truth. In other words, set them apart for special use. And your word is truth. When you turn on the TV and you're watching the news, you're probably not hearing any truth. But when you come here and you hear Bible verses, you are definitely hearing the truth. And the truth will make you free. We have the gift of faith. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says this, Truly, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, And maybe you will, maybe you won't. You have a choice. And I think that's talking about exercising the choice, not whether you have the faith or not, because you were given faith as a gift. You can place your confidence in the object of your faith as a gift. But if you have faith, 
the size of a mustard seed, which is the tiniest of all the seeds. You will say to this mountain, and this mountain is any obstacle, move from here to there, and the obstacle will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So as believers in Christ, we need to take advantage of the fact that we have faith and to continue to place our object, our, our faith in the object of our faith, which is our Lord. And what we know about our Lord is this. We have the victory. You know what, what I was thinking about it on the way here? Sometimes my neighbors water their lawns, and the way they water it is they let this, this floodgate open and then it just, their whole property gets flooded. And that's kind of the way people water lawns here in Arizona. And when they do that, scorpions start running for cover because scorpions don't like water. And a lot of them end up in my house, right? And not a lot of them, but, you know, one will trip through there every once in a while. And so I'll be walking around the house and I'll see this scorpion on the floor and the minute I see the scorpion on the floor, the scorpion doesn't know what I know. And I know that two things kill scorpions. Fire and 11 Ds. Do you know what an 11 D is? This right here. This will, you know, I'm sorry if you're not watching on TV. If you're not watching on TV, I'm holding up my shoe which is an 11D, but this 11D will liquefy a scorpion. So at the minute I see the scorpion, in my mind, the scorpion is dead. And all I have to do is take the shoe, and I kind of stretch it out a little bit, actually. I, you know, I like that, that feeling of, you know, you don't know this, Mr. Scorpion, but you're about to get liquidated. I kind of like that. There's a little bit of sadistic in me, i got to admit that. And then the next thing you know, you hear that sound, bam, and the scorpion is liquid, dead, gone, forever. That's exactly what the Lord is doing as he looks at this world. And all the people in the world who are perpetrating this coronavirus and all this other stuff, put on your mask, you can't go to work, you got to eat a certain way. I don't, even, I don't even know what all the rules are anymore. But they're all running around like they're really important. And God is just standing as the sovereign God of the universe with an 11D. And when the, ti when the time is right, he's just going to come down and liquidate them. He's going to come back and get his believers. And he's going to liquidate the ones who are perpetrating all this. Amen? Amen? So what are we worried about? We're not worried about one thing. Because we know that we already have the victory. And see, the minute I look at that scorpion, I already know I have the victory. It's not in doubt. And it's the same with God. He already knows it's not in doubt. So you can relax in the Lord. And that's just that. So I got so excited about the scorpion story, I didn't know who the hell I am. <laughs> The next gift is the gift of hope. That thing that the scorpion did not have. Amen? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 24. In hope for a certain future, we've been saved by God the Father in the past. But hope that is seen in the present is not hope. 
for who hopes for what he already sees. But we have hope. We have hope in the Lord. We have the gift of unconditional love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, We believers in Christ know unconditional love by this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And as a result, we ought to follow the, this example and lay down our lives for other believers in Christ. And that's what I am pleased to do as a pastor, to lay down my life, to give up my worldly ambition, to have a divine ambition to teach you the word of God every opportunity that I get. We have the gift of the resurrection life, eternal life, a life that has no beginning and no ending. And when we were born, we had everlasting life. We had a life that had a beginning and no ending. Because the soul once born never dies, but you get to choose where it spends eternity. When you choose to spend eternity with Christ, you now have eternal life, a life with no beginning and no ending, because you share the life of Christ. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, Give the resurrection life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish. And the never here is the strongest word, the strongest negative word in Greek. Ook! You will not no way, not know how, not never perish. And never, not no way, not know how, will anyone seize believers in Christ out of my hands. That's called eternal security. The minute you believe in Christ, the second you believe in Christ, you are saved once and for all time. Isn't that amazing? The gift of liberty is next. Freedom. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, the gospel message to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those in bondage, and to proclaim the opening, the door of freedom to prisoners. That's how God looks at us. He is always looking to mend us, to free us, to help us. We have the gift of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter was being benevolent when he said, up to seven times, because the Mosaic law said up to three times. And so Peter was padding it a little bit. Up to seven times, huh? Aren't I great? Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said to Peter, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times, seven times. Up to 490 times. In fact, and, and what he means is that forgiveness needs to be unlimited. And that's what forgiveness is in the eyes of God, unlimited. He is always willing to forgive our mistakes. The gift of grace. John chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For of the Lord Jesus Christ's abundance, of his fullness, we believers in Christ have all received, and we have received one grace blessing after another grace blessing. It, you know, it's said a lot of times here in, the, in Satan's kingdom, well, God will never give you anything you can't handle. False. God has always given you things you can't handle. And then what does he give you right after that? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. He handles everything for you. And the tenth of the gifts that 
I'm listing here, there are thousands of them, but the tenth of the gifts I'm listing here is the gift of prayer. John chapter 16, verse 23 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you believers in Christ, whatever you may ask God the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whatever you may ask of God the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So you can ask God for the things that you want in confidence, knowing that he's going to give those things to you. So I ask you, what role does prayer play in your life? Because that's what we're going to investigate in tonight's lesson. So let's hear some music for Christians. The center of our lives is Christ. Whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we know him or not. As Christians, does it still excite you to have a relationship with Christ? For a Samaritan woman who had just had a conversation with Jesus, the excitement was real. One of the things she was excited about is that a Jew would talk to her as a Samaritan because the Jews and the Samaritans were hated each other, right? There was, you, you think there's racism now. That racism was unbelievable. So she ran into town gushing about meeting the Lord. John chapter 4, verse 29 says this. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is a Samaritan woman talking. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This couldn't be the Christ, the Messiah, could it? She was being rather coy, but he had told her that he was the Messiah, so she knew. Well, Barah Ministry song worship leader June Murphy wrote a song about the woman's experience. It's called, Come See a Man. Oh, 
Okay, then. <laughs> wow. That was great. <laughs> Let us pray. 
We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you for the blessing of Barah Ministries. Thank you for gathering a group of your believers together who are willing to live the unity you placed us into. Thank you for, for, for providing us with the adversity that strengthens our walk as Christians. Thank you for letting us get to know you and the other members of the Godhead through a relationship with your word. Open our spiritual eyes, Father. Help us to see the truth in the midst of the lies around us. Help us to keep on making a difference to this lost and dying world. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Tonight's Bible lesson, what role does prayer play in your life? What role does prayer play in your life? Prayer is not only a gift from God, it's a weapon. And tonight I'd like to give you some things to think about concerning prayer, things that have been thought about by many Christians before us. The first is this, what is prayer? Prayer is deliberate interaction with God, whether formal or informal, whether audible or silent, whether public or private, it's an interaction where we can talk with God and where we listen to the messages God has for us, either through his word or through other people. So when we pray, you know, in the Old Testament, when they prayed, God might talk back to them or he might send an angel to talk to them or he might appear in a theophany. Or he might appear to them in dreams. There were a lot of ways that he communicated with human beings before there was the written word of God. But now he communicates with us through his word. And so we should not be too shy about believing in a God that we don't see. Because we don't have any problem believing in the boogeyman coronavirus that we can't see. We don't have any problem believing that the people that we flip through on the dating app, Tinder, are real when we spend 20 hours a week talking to them, which means text messaging them, when we've never met them. Many, you know, there be people on Tinder who are, who are talking to people who live 40 states away. And we think, oh, well, I haven't seen them, but they must be real. But then we haven't seen God, and we think he isn't real. He's very real. He's very real. He's very present. And he's amazing. And so we should not be shy at all about praying to him. Now, there's no prescription for prayer. How you do it is how you do it. One of the things I like about the prayer circle that we have is to see how some of the women pray. And I, you know, I just sit there and listen to them and how they pray, and I go, wow. I wish I could pray like that. Right, but you can't be judgmental about how you pray. I, I am not one of those people. I, you know, I, I'll tell you toward the end of the lesson today why I don't pray more. But, you know, I, I don't, when I'm talking to God, I don't mind talking to him. But then when I just sit to listen to him, nothing happens. And so, but when I get in the shower, I get a lot of thoughts. Right, so... What's the right way to pray? There isn't a right way to pray. You just talk to him, and he'll get messages to you. 
He'll get messages through insights when you're studying the word. He'll get messages that you hear from other people. I remember I was in New York City one time, and I was in Times Square, and there was a guy evangelizing, and you know he was he was a little taller than everybody else, probably six five, and he was he was talking to people about you need to believe in Jesus, and Jesus is coming again, and he looked right at me, and I said, I believe in Jesus, and then I walked by him, and he turned around and he said, Hey. You got to come all the way. <laughs> why you going why you going to throw me under the bus like that, bro? <laughs> but you know there it's it's just funny how God will talk to you in various ways. And I I know what that means. You got to come all the way means don't put your toe in the water in Christianity, buddy. How about all of you? And what a great message. So what are some of the components of prayer? Because prayer is a, is a gift, prayer is a weapon, and prayer needs to be a really important part of your life. So what are some of the components of prayer? Number one, we direct prayer to God the Father. So when you start the prayer, you say, Almighty God and Father. And I remember that uh, I was in a, in a question and answer period at a particular time, and this lady, I, I said, I started it with, hey, there are no stupid questions, so please ask any question. And this lady said, what is God the Father doing right now? And so I said, well, that's a very interesting question. I'll have to think on that a little bit. And then we got back up to the pastor's room. I said, hey, guys, was that the stupidest question you ever heard in your entire life? Or is it just me? And then later that night, I was sitting around, and I came up with about 19 things that God the Father is doing right now. See, so the questions you think are stupid questions are phenomenal questions, and God communicates to you that way. And so one of the things that God the Father is doing right now is he's listening to prayer. And there are 7 billion people on the earth. And so how would you like to have that inbox for your email? Seven billion people that he can hear simultaneously praying. And 6.9 billion of those people are praying for me. That's why I have such an amazing life. Amen? Amen. Just like that. They got people praying for me in different languages. <laughs> Swahili, Chinese, a whole bit. I love that. Second thing. Uh, we take time to express our gratitude in prayer. Prayer time is a good time to give thanks for all that God does for us, whether great or small. And one of the things that really would be amazing for you to do is to write down the things that you're grateful for from God. And just get a sheet and just write those things down. Things like waking up this morning, breathing, my meals, my money, protecting me from travel. You just start writing that stuff down. By the time you get through with one sheet, you'll be so overwhelmed with all the things that God does for you that gratitude will be overflowing. I'd be surprised if you don't cry. The third thing, we communicate the desires of our heart to God, which is called petition for self. Petition. It is not selfish to ask God for things for yourself. And I think we always think that it is. 
God wants us to ask things. If you're a parent, you want your kids to ask you for things. I'm not talking to you, Zach. Because <laughs> I know you. You'll be asking me for all kind of stuff after the lesson. The answer is no in advance. But I'm not God. Amen? <laughs> yes, and I am grateful for that as well. But uh, we communicate the desires of our heart to God. It is not selfish to put your needs first. And Satan wants you to believe that it is. So... You know, I, I remember when I would pray, I always put the petition last. Now nah, it's first. All right, let, let me just get this straight and get it out of the way. This is what I need. This is what I want. And he's listening and dying for us to tell, no pun intended here, dying for us to tell him what we want. Amen? We com- no, the fourth thing, we communicate our desires for others through prayer which is called intercession. We go before God boldly and we make a case for others, whether we know them or not, even if we don't know their names, and we ask God to bring his supernatural power to the circumstances of others. When I got on the plane today, I prayed right away. I said, Almighty God and Father, thank you for the miracle of air travel. Thank you for taking this plane into the air and landing it safely on the ground. And please give us a smooth patch of sky to ensure that all the people on the plane are comfortable. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. I have flown over 10 million miles in my lifetime. I've circumnavigated the globe three or four times. And there are a lot of people who landed safely in their destinations because I prayed for it. And they don't even know. I don't know their names. I know they were on the plane with me. But they got the benefit of prayer. People ask me to pray for people all the time, and, you know, I don't even know the name. And I say, hey, Father, I'm praying for the person that Joe asked me to pray for. I don't even know her name, but I know you do. I don't even know her circumstances, but I know you do. And so I trust that you will give an outcome that no one would expect by using your supernatural divine omnipotence. And I thank you for this. Ask it. Through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. So powerful to pray for folks. So next, number five, we make prayer a habit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. The shortest verse in the Bible in the Greek language because it is only one word. The typical translation Pray without ceasing. I don't know how you would actually do that. You have to eat sometimes, so I don't know how you would pray without ceasing. But the correct translation of it is make it a habit to pray. This is something that you need to set aside time for, and it can be, if you set aside a half an hour a day to pray, it could be one of the most amazing things that you would ever do for yourself to just sit down in the quiet with the phone off, the computer closed, and just you and God, and a notepad and a pen and your Bible, and reading passages and then writing down the thoughts that come to you. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Number six, we pray by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the one who saved us. God the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. 
Our life after salvation and up to physical death is the responsibility of God the Holy Spirit. And his job is to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of God the Son. And he does his job with or without your cooperation. He has never failed at doing his job. And number seven, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we do the prayer circle, you know, there are a lot of people who don't know that these are the components of prayer, and they leave some stuff out. You know, like they won't say in Christ's name, or they'll say Lord instead of Father in the very beginning. And I remember when I was back in systematic theology, you know, it was so rigid and so legalistic that you had to go through these seven steps. And if you didn't go through these seven steps, the pastor said, your prayer won't get above the ceiling. What a bunch of crap. What a bunch of crap. The Bible says exactly the opposite of that. The Bible says we don't pray like we should. And so God the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in groanings too deep for words. The Lord Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, is our advocate with the Father, and he prays our prayers for us too. God hears every single prayer of every single person all the time and can do it simultaneously. Amen? So don't listen to any of these goofballs who want you to think that God is somehow limited. He isn't. Well, what are some of the things God wants us to know about prayer? Well, number one, we're to be bold in prayer. We don't go in front of God like some mealy-mouthed little, God, I know you don't want to do this for me, but I want to ask you. Not like that. Dog. Hey, I need some stuff. I'm hungry. I need some food. I need some money. I'm broke. He expects us to be bold. We are to know that God loves to answer our prayers. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this, Therefore, because we have such an amazing high priest in Jesus Christ, let us believers in Christ draw near with confidence, with boldness to the throne of grace, so that we may fully expect to receive mercy and to find grace in time of need. He wants to come through for us. We acknowledge in prayer that God knows best. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says this. Oh, the depths of his glorious riches both of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. Romans eleven thirty four. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become good enough to be his counselor? No one. Romans eleven thirty five. Or who has first given to God that it might be paid back to him again. That's one of the things we always want to say. Well, I've done so much for God. No matter how much I do for God, it it could never even remotely uh, approach what he's done for us. Romans 11, 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him is the glory forever and ever. Amen. God answers our prayers at the proper time. The Bible describes it as in due time. 
perhaps immediately, perhaps not, but always within the scope of his omniscient, all-knowing wisdom. The Lord recognized out loud in prayer the wisdom of his father on the night that he was crucified. Luke chapter 22, verse 42 says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Don't make me go to the cross. Don't make me be separated from you. Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The Lord Jesus Christ was acknowledging that the Father knows best. Now, the Bible has many things to say about prayer, like 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that say this. This is the confidence we have when we go before God the Father in prayer, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5.15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and maybe we know that, maybe we don't, we know that we already have the requests which we have asked from him. Isn't that funny? Before you even pray, God has already set aside what he knows you're going to pray for. Before you even pray, he's already set aside the stuff that you are about to pray for because he knows everything. So your prayers are a guarantee. The things you're asking for in prayer are a guarantee. Now, example, don't be going, you know, Father, this woman, there's a woman at work that I just love. And Father, I know that she's somebody else's wife. But Father, she just, there's something about her. Don't be going praying on stuff like that. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Or the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is that it does happen. And then you find out that you were completely wrong. So, so when you're praying, be real. You know, you, you say, uh, you, know, you know, God, I went to 7-Eleven this week. And I bought a lottery ticket. And I would like you to just grant me the $300 million. He's not going to do that for you. I'll tell you why he's not going to do that for you. Because he knows what would happen. It was, the same thing would happen to you that happens to everybody who wins the lottery. Three years later, they ain't got no money and they're in worse financial shape than they were before. Because they can't handle it mentally. See? He's not going to do things to ruin you. But what he will do is he'll listen to you and say, okay... Dummy doesn't really want the lottery, a lottery win, but he just wants to make sure that I'm going to pay all of his bills. I'll take care of that. And he always does. Always. <laughs> oh, my God. Prayer is an underutilized weapon in the spiritual life. But have you ever wondered why? Well, take a five-minute break, and when we come back, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, don't, just get off of me. Just back up. Back up. People in Coeur d'Alene already know. Just back up. <laughs> take a five-minute break. When we come back, we'll take the offering, and then we'll see why we don't use prayer nearly enough. Five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. 
belong At the end of the line Will all the other not quite Will all the never get it right But it turns out They're the ones you were looking for All this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God expects us to do everything with a mindset of abundance and to do nothing with a mindset of scarcity. Let your giving reflect abundance. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good evening. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brow Ministries. Brow Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. And we are all real people who come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately, it just seems like everything's falling apart, doesn't it? It's just going crazy with the world. From storms to, I guess, wars, and now you got the sickness going around, and everybody's, uh, the economy's hurting, and, you know, we got election coming up, and everybody's already sick of political ads, I'm sure. But it's funny, I heard something this week. It was that everything's, you know, everything's not falling apart. It's falling into place. And, you know, it's, it's hard to look at your life and think about it that way. But you see in the Bible, look at Adam and Eve. Created two creations and they failed right away. But it wasn't falling apart. It was falling into place just for us, for our salvation. You look at David and Goliath. You know, why did they pick David to fight? He wasn't the biggest. Saul was the tallest guy probably on the battlefield. He should have fought, but he didn't. They gave it to David, and everybody's probably like, oh, God, a kid with a a slingshot? Oh, man, this is not going to work out. And it fell right into place. And you think about the Israelites, you know, when they're released by Pharaoh. They're running towards the Red Sea. Oh, man, this is not going good. Like, who chose this route? Like, we're going towards the Red Sea. Like, we didn't think of this? Let's go south, or I don't know, maybe straight east, straight west. But, you know, they got there, and it, Moses rose the staff, and they were good. You know, the story of Moses himself, he didn't want to be a leader. And he didn't, he didn't think he had the charisma, and he didn't think he could be a real leader. And God chose him, and, you know, here he is, leading the Israelis right out of, right out of Egypt. And he was the perfect guy. And so, I mean, what, what's the best example of all of this? Jesus on the cross. Right? Because who wanted that to happen of any of the apostles? They didn't want that to happen. They were fighting every, every, everything they could do to make that not happen. But it wasn't falling apart. It fell right into place. And so a lot of times I think when we sacrifice, we think things are falling apart. Or when we sacrifice to God, things are, you know, it's not going our way. Like, I gave you 50 bucks. God, let's go. I need that hundo back or something. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, even like, the, the example of silly questions is really an, is, an, is, is something where it seems like, oh, man, this discussion is falling apart. But it's really falling into place because a lot of truth is revealed with some of those questions. And, you know, it's, it's something that people take for granted is their pers- our perspective matters. Our individual unique perspectives matter. And the pastor doesn't have them. So when he hears those things, he can think about life in a different angle, from a different way. You know, he's from the ghetto. So that's all he thinks about is the ghetto. <laughs> he's at the airport people are stepping in line he's about to snap him, snap on him and they're going to they're going to fall into place real quick too but so you know you know originally you know just i was thinking about sacrifice and how a lot of times sacrifice makes you think make you makes you think that things are falling apart 
but they're not, and they're really falling into place. And we can see from Romans chapter 1, um, Therefore I, Paul, beg you believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded because of, many mercy, because of the many mercies of God, to present your bodies by choice, not by, not by command, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God the Father, which is your spiritual service of worship. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God the Father that is a fruit of the lips that gives thanks to His name. So it's really not hard for us to sacrifice when we, we use the fruit of the lips, which is Jesus Christ's name, to everybody around us. And it's, it's really simple for us to show through our sacrifice, to show that we rise and not fall in Christianity. And when we sacrifice and others can see that we're giving of ourselves, we, we can show that, it worship, that it's worship and it's not a waste of time. And then I think the biggest thing is that when we sacrifice, we can in, inspire people instead of dishearten people. And especially in this time where it feels like everything's falling apart, it really helps to, to have a place like this where you know everything's is, is, is falling in place. And we know that with our lives, with our plan, with the personal plan that God has for our lives and for this church. And so thank you for always sacrificing and giving of your time and your talent and your treasure for this church because it really matters. And pastors, he's running himself ragged to really create enough truth and to run his business and to have to wear a mask and breathe. So let's help him through this and show our appreciation every chance we get to the glory of Christ. Thank you. tonight's Bible lesson <clears throat> what role does prayer play in your life what role does prayer play in your life well thank you uh, Deacon Denny Goodall for another phenomenal offering message the people up in Coeur d'Alene absolutely love your offering message I'm glad somebody does because uh, no. 
No, so they are. They're all phenomenal. And, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right about me thinking about the ghetto all the time. It's all I think about. And I really appreciate the message of things falling into place instead of falling apart because I shanked a guy at the airport today, and I hope that he's listening so that he knows that that wound is going to fall into place. He's not going to fall apart. <laughs> the ghetto. You can take the boy out of the ghetto, but you cannot take the ghetto out of the boy. Well, here are a few things to incorporate into your prayer life. First, pray to have a deeper more intimate relationship with the Lord. How many times do you pray to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, Moses asked for this blessing. He said this, Now therefore I, Moses, pray to you, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. What a powerful prayer. Let me know your ways so that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation, Israel, is your people, the Jews. And so, as the Lord listened to Moses, it brings up the next idea, pray to get answers from God, because God gives answers to prayers. I like asking questions of God, and he always answers them. After Moses asked of God in prayer, God responded. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, he said this, The Lord said, My presence shall go with you. Across the wilderness there was a cloud of fire hovering above the Jews so that they knew that God was with them. Manna, food, fell from the sky so that God knew, but, so that the Jews knew that God was with them. And so the Lord said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And they had rest. Third, pray expecting God to use his supernatural, omnipotent power in human circumstances. Eventually, our human power runs out. But God's supernatural power never runs out. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 37 to 39, Elijah Ask God to show people who he is. And the Lord responded. 1 Kings 18.37 Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. 1 Kings 18.38 Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. 1 Kings 18.39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Yes, God can produce signs and wonders anytime he wants. And he chooses not to do that most of the time. He did it a lot in the Old Testament, not so much now in the ways like that. But in the ways of taking a guy like Tony LaGrasso, who had bone marrow cancer, and in a year he was cancer-free, those are the miracles that we see today. And it's amazing. Fourth, pray to praise God, expressing gratitude for many things, including the adversity of tribulation and the prosperity of getting blessed with the desires of your heart. And I think a lot of times we're really one-sided. A lot of times we just want to be positive. 
A lot of times we just want to be positive. Those aren't the things that we respond to, honestly, as human beings. We don't respond to the positive things that God does, but we always respond to the negative. We always respond to the tribulation because it wakes us up. You know, you, you, you ought to exercise before you get sick, right? But we don't. And then we get sick. Now we're all up in the gym. We're always digging. We, we need to dig the well before we're thirsty. And we're always closing the barn door after the horse has already escaped. That's the way we do things. But when we're praying to God, we need to praise him for the adversity that he uses to get our attention. And we need to praise him for the blessings that he always delivers. And when you really, really want to know if something that's going on in your life is from God, just check to see if there's a lot of adversity associated with it. Because that's the way God will always come at us at first, with adversity. There'll be a time where we're just down. There'll be a time when everything just seems to be falling apart. And he'll let us sit in that situation for a little while. Because when we sit in that situation for a, a, a little while, we have no choice but just to drop our hands and to just say, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. Help me. And then put out our hands, and that's when the miracles start to occur. Miracles to you, but a routine day at the office for God. Amen? Because he wants you to know where those blessings came from, and they didn't come from you. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 say this. Hannah said, O my Lord, she's talking to Eli, as your soul lives, my Lord, Eli, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27. To have this boy, I prayed, and the Lord has given me petition which I asked, the petition which I asked of him. She asked for a kid, and the Lord gave her a kid. Fifth, pray for God's protection, and especially in times of desperation, like when you are despised, defamed, and persecuted by others. Here is David in Psalm 31, verse 4, expressing confidence in the Lord during a time of absolute desperation. Psalm 31, 4, you will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you, O Lord, are my strength. Psalm 31, verses 11 to 15. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. They don't want anything to do with me. I've become the object of dread to my acquaintances. They don't want to hear from me. They don't want to be around me. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Psalm 31, 12. I am forgotten as if I am a dead man. I am out of people's minds. I am like a broken vessel. Psalm 31, 13. For I have heard the slander of many. Terror is around me on every side. And while they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. Psalm 31, 14. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those 
who persecute me. David did some pretty despicable stuff. And yet the Lord did not leave him, did not fail him, did not forsake him, did not allow him to be hurled headlong. His oldest son turned on him, and the Lord delivered David. He always does. Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20 say this, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who respect you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Psalm 31:20 You hide them in the secret places of your presence from the conspiracies of man you keep them secretly in a shelter away from the strife of tongues God is amazing to us David was given a cho- a choice to be disciplined by God or to be disciplined by men and he did, chose to be disciplined by God because he knew that God would be gracious and loving and would 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 shower him with loving kindness. Sixth, pray for personal solutions because God knows you intimately. God knows you better than you know you. Psalm 139 verses 1 to 4 say this, you have searched me and you know me, O Lord. Psalm 139:2, you know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar and it it went from afar means when my thoughts are coming from afar not that God is far away from us he isn't he's an ever-present help in times of trouble Psalm 139 3 you scrutinize my path and my lying down you are intimately acquainted with all my ways God does more for you while you are asleep than he does when you're awake scrutinize he knows every single detail about you psalm 139 4 even before there's a word on my tongue behold lord you know it all people always say well why do i have to pray if he knows everything he wants to hear it and you need to hear it you need to hear yourself asking him for stuff you can pray when you're scared matthew chapter 14 Verses 28 to 30, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you out there on the water in the midst of this storm, command me to come to you on the water. Matthew 14, 29, the Lord said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Matthew 14, 30, but seeing the wind, instead of fixing his eyes on Jesus, Peter became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord did save him. Obstacles are what we see when we take our eyes off the Lord. Obstacles are what we see when we take our eyes off the Lord. So here's the payoff. Why don't I pray more? Why don't I pray more? Why don't you pray more? I'll tell you why. Because of the Lord's abundance. That's why we don't pray more. I have been so amply blessed that I think it's selfish to ask the Lord for more. But it is not selfish. And the Lord doesn't think of us that way. And that's a perfect example of men always injecting their opinion instead of looking at things from God's perspective. Because the Lord, from his perspective, expects us to keep on asking so he can keep on providing.
He's like a person who runs and gets something and brings it to you, and then he's standing there waiting for you to do the next thing. It's sort of like my, you know, I've had Labrador retrievers, and retrievers like doing one thing. What is it? Retrieving. That's why they call them retrievers. Amen? And so you fire the bone out there, and they go get the bone, and they bring it back, and they give it to you, and they're ready to go do it again. And you throw it out there, and you can do it a hundred times. And they'll keep going and getting and keep bringing it back to you. That's exactly how God operates. We ask him for something, he runs and gets it and brings it back to us. And then he's sitting there waiting for us to ask for the next thing. And that is not selfish. That's just what God expects. And let's be frank. We don't do it that way. We don't ask him enough for the things that we want. We doubt him because we doubt us. Your power, no power. His power, amazing power. Amen? Trust him. So, if you learn nothing else from tonight, learn to make every request you have known, you, you have, known to God because God wants to hear what you have to say. Now, here's the thing for some of y'all. All right, after you pray, you pray, warrior. Pray, pray, pray. You also have to get up and do stuff. You do. And, and I think the best prayers happen when you pray and then you put into action as if you already had it yourself. Put yourself into action as if you already had it. There are a lot of times when the money is tight for me. And I need something. I just spend and I expect the Lord to provide. He does. And not stupidly. You know, yeah, the rapture is coming. I'm not going to go run up all my credit cards. Amen? (laughs) That's not bright. Because we don't know the day, the time, or the hour that that's going to happen. We know it's imminent. We know it's the next thing in divine history that God is going to pluck his believers off the earth. We know that. First Thessalonians, we know it. We're going to meet him in the air, in the twinkling of an eye. We know it's coming. But God expects us to get into action. And that's what you do if you have faith. If you have faith that what you ask for has already been put aside, you get into action. So get into action. If you learn nothing else from tonight, Learn to make every request you have known to God because God wants to hear what you have to say and he wants to do what you want him to do. Well, the last part of our lesson tonight is the most important part of our message tonight. It's the part of the study where we share the gospel message because God wants you to make the most important decision of your life. And first and foremost, this gospel message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him aside for praise in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, the absolute confidence that's provided by your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. We don't have to argue anyone into believing, with, believing in Christ. Second, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. Whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. 
And that's bad news for you. Because sinners need a savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life. The one outlined in Acts chapter 16 verse 31 which says this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. Well here is a question that demands reflection. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? According <laughs> June says, saint. <laughs> I have a different opinion, amen? <laughs> According to the Bible, all of us come to earth as sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. That's from physical birth. So, we all come as sinners. And unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. Being a sinner is bad news, especially if you die as a sinner. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, and that will be true for many of them, in fact, all of them who are at the great white throne, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a fate you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. So if you remain a sinner, and if you die before accepting a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will be in the lake of fire. The Bible has good news for sinners. If you're still breathing, you can choose to become a saint. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his God and Father have special plans for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his unconditional love toward all mankind in that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. That is not something we do. We don't like being in relationship with scumbags. We want to wait till everybody gets good before we get in a relationship with them. God does not do that. Thank goodness or none of us would be saved. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but instead shall have the resurrection life. The Lord Jesus Christ has his arms open wide, right this minute, waiting to welcome sinners into his kingdom. John chapter 6, verse 37 says this, And the ones who come to believe in me, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness the lake of fire. In fact, you don't even have to look for God because he goes looking for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this, What man among you? If he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which he has lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke fifteen six. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep which was lost. 
Luke 15, 7 says this. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So there are a few things you need to know if you want to be transformed from sinner to saint. First, you can't work to be saved. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this. The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. Second, to be a saint instead of a sinner, you need to have a change of mind. And the Bible calls this repentance. And it has nothing to do with your sins, as many legalists claim. Repent means to change your mind about your desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Moving from having no desire for that relationship to having an immediate desire to have a relationship with him. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 say this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, God the Father is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, Acts 17.31, because God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the God-man, Jesus Christ, whom the Father has appointed, having furnished proof that he is God to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. And finally, you need to acknowledge the truths in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance, the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to Scripture, 1 Corinthians fifteen four, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. So how can you move from sinner to saint? John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Whosoever received him, To them, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And heed the warning in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So take a moment out of your busy life and heed the suggestion of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.10 For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. And remember, once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give the resurrection life to believers in Christ, and they will not never not know how perish, and they will not never not know how, no way, be seized out of my hand.
Isn't that comforting? Believe now and you will be saved. All right, we close with music. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. In the same way we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as adult sons of God, waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, and waiting eagerly for the freedom of the glory of the children of God, just that way, God the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of our salvation, groans to help our weakness. For example, we believers in Christ don't know how to pray as we should, but God the Holy Spirit himself personally intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Romans 8.27 And God the Father, who is searching the hearts of those who pray right now, knows what the mind of God the Holy Spirit is through his groanings, which cannot be uttered in words, because God the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's all believers in Christ, according to the will of God the Father. Romans 8.28 And we know with absolute certainty and absolute confidence that God the Father causes all things to work together for good to those who love God the Father. Who are those who love God the Father? All believers in Christ. To those who are called according to the Father's purpose. Romans 8.29 For those whom God the Father foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the Lord would be firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.30 And those whom God the Father predestined, he also called. And those whom God the Father called to the benefits of salvation, he also justified. He made them legally righteous. And those whom God the Father justified, he also glorified, a future event that we can absolutely count on. Well, June Murphy reminds us in a song that God works all things for good.
Those ribs are doing a little better, aren't they? <laughs> Let's offer up praise to our God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back, because he cares for you, which means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, help us to keep our head when all those around us are losing theirs. Help us to keep our perspective. Help us to continue to dream, to continue to hope, to continue to have ambition, to continue to move forward in our lives, knowing that you want for us the resurrection life while we're here on earth and the resurrection life for us in eternity, knowing that you will treat the world just like it is a scorpion and you are a shoe and that you will crush those who are against us and lift us up so that our enemies can see as we sit and eat a feast right in front of them. Thank you so much for caring about us so much and giving us a personal plan for our lives that you will fulfill. And we ask for your blessing as we go forward into the week. We ask you for rest. We ask you for spiritual eyes. We ask you for the courage to reach out to others who need the gospel message. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching.